0: Welcome to the Axiom Podcast, episode 22. Another edition of the Axiom Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Brandon. And it's always fun to get to record a podcast because these are the days that I get to kind of take a break from the regular client work and reflect a little bit, think about the topic we're going to be discussing, and um just do a brain dump. And it's also the days that I get to work on my business. I just finished a great call with a guy who's coaching me. Um you guys have heard me talk about him before, Doug Paul, Doug Paul Group Consulting. And, um, I just, you know, I, I will this is not what we're going to talk about today, but I have to say, if you don't have a, somebody who's coaching you, if you do not have a business coach, you're truly missing out on one of the best investments of your time and money that you can make in business. And we're going to talk, this is actually a topic for another day. It's on the schedule for three or four weeks out from, from now, we're going to talk about coaching. Uh, but I just had to say today after you know, getting off this call maybe 30, 45 minutes ago and getting some incredible insight into the plans that we have for our business over the next year, stuff that I would have never come up with on my own. Uh, you know, th- These are they're ideas that were kind of hatched in my brain and, and Doug's and collaborating together we came up with these things. And they're just things that I would have never come up with before. So the clarity that you get – from somebody who brings an outside perspective in, uh, it's just really incredibly valuable. One of the most val like I said, most, most valuable investments you can make in your business, time wise, money wise. And if you don't have a business coach, I would encourage you to make that one of your resolutions or one of your goals for this year to bring somebody else in to help you work on your business. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. What we're going to talk about today. Is owner-operator separation and the different roles that most business owners have to play in their companies, and it's a problem that is unique to small business and maybe small and mid-sized businesses, but it's especially prevalent in small business. And I had I've had the opportunity to work with, I uh, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens, you know, over a hundred, maybe over two hundred, three hundred small businesses and i see this problem i when i was doing tax returns back in the day when i had the tax and accounting firm we would always talk about this problem when we would get around to owner compensation issues we're going to talk about owner compensation today as one of the areas where this comes into play but when in the work that i was doing then it was pretty much the only time that it came into play because we weren't really talking about separation of owner operator responsibilities and anything other than payroll taxes and what irs has to say about that and What the you know how you can get in trouble with the law or what you need to do to keep your nose clean and all that stuff, but it wasn't like I was I would always be astounded when I found somebody who was getting it right and just that little piece of it like I had no idea what they're actually doing in the business like what they were doing as an owner or what they were doing as an operator all I could see was how they were paying themselves in those two roles and it was you know, I was always astonished when uh, when somebody would get it right and be like, huh, this person is doing exactly what they're supposed to do. Not because IRS says to do it, not because they need to pay X amount in tax or save X amount of tax or, you know, irrespective of any tax considerations, they've got it right. And you could see that they had it right because it had a tangible effect on the business. Like those were the businesses that performed better. Those were the businesses that were more profitable and you could kind of, you could visit these businesses, you could walk the floor and they were just run better. So there was something too. Hey, if they're paying themselves as an, as an owner, uh, the right way and they're paying themselves as an operator, the right way. Wow. Well, they, they're probably doing some other things the right way is the point. So we're going to talk about specific things that you can do to make it the right way, maybe a few tips, tricks, hacks to, to help you get the processes started and get the systems underway. But the first thing that you have to come to grips with is that if you own a business, you you at some point, you want to make this distinction between owning a business and owning a job. And this is most often the case in very small businesses. I would say businesses that generate less than a million dollars in revenue. The distinction between owning a business and owning a job in many cases is a distinction without a difference that the, the fact is that person uh, owns shares of stock or owns membership interest in an LLC. And the only benefit they get for holding those shares of stock or holding that membership interest is the privilege to come to work every day. And that, you know, some days that may seem like a privilege and, you know, there, there is something to be said for that. You know, when you're in the middle of the recession in 2008, yes, times are tough. Yes, sales are down. Yes, um, you know, payables might be high, but you didn't go to work every day wondering whether you're going to get fired or not. And I was in this boat. Like, I, I vividly remember In the middle of the recession in 2008, 2009, it actually hit our business. You know, professional services businesses lagged behind, Um, certainly lagged behind construction, certainly lagged behind retail, certainly lagged behind most other service industries. Uh, But eventually it did come down and it did hit professional services. And so it was, you know, probably like 2009, 2010 were probably the toughest years for us. And I remember having a conversation with Josie, my wife and we you know it was tough like we were having to cut back on a lot of things and I had to lay some people off and we um were talking and I said and we had just gotten word that like two friends in one week had been laid off from their jobs like they just came into work and the person at the front was like you know go see John in the manager's office and and waiting for them was John with their last paycheck And it was like, wow, that's, now it's getting real. Now it's, you know, we've got friends who are are being, are unemployed now. And I remember having this conversation with Josie where I was like, you know, well, as bad as it is, I don't have to worry about whether I'm going to have a job tomorrow. Like, yeah, sales are down and yeah, we had to cut back and yeah, we might not be taking a vacation this year or, or whatever the, the tightening of the belt meant for us at that time. But I wasn't going to lose my job. So there is something to be said for the fact, you know, the privilege of coming to work every day. But if that's the best that you can hope for is, hey, you know, during the recession when everything else sucks around me, um, you know, at least, at least I don't have to worry about losing my job. That, to me, is not a big enough carrot to want to be a business owner. There's a lot of other things that you should aspire to other than just the privilege to go to work every day for yourself. and And they can be... Monetary, financial, non-financial. A lot of people talk about the freedom to to set your own schedule. Well, let me tell you something. Most business owners do not have the freedom to set their own schedule, especially early on. I worked way more hours working for myself than I ever worked when I was working for somebody else who was signing my paycheck. Um, as far as you know, freedom on your own schedule. You know, one of the things you have to get used to, and when you are in these very small business arenas, is you don't get paid vacation. Like you take vacation and and stuff doesn't get done and people don't get service customers don't get serviced and money doesn't come in so every vacation you take is an unpaid vacation and you have to make up for it before you know or after the time that you take off from the business so you know there I don't want this to turn into a discussion about should you own your own business or not but for for very small businesses often. All they have is a job that they own, and that's what they own. They own the job, and so they work more, they make more. They work harder, they make more. Um, But they never usually get, you know, when people talk about working smarter in terms of hiring people to help you and delegating responsibilities and coming up with systems and processes, very small businesses often don't get to that point. And that's an important point to get to because – if you can't get past the fact that you just own a job, then calling yourself a business owner doesn't really do anything for you. Like there's nothing you can change about the way that you operate that's going to make things better. Like the stuff that we're going to talk about today, it's gonna, it's, it's not going to do anything for you because you're not there yet. You have to get to the point where you own the business and not just the job. So that's the first thing I would say is that, you know, really sit back and ask yourself if you're in one of these small businesses and and this could even be true of large businesses that are just like on the brink of profitability you know there's there are businesses out there that are doing two million three million dollars a year, and there are no ancillary benefits for the ownership like there are no dividend payments there are there is no uh, goodwill being built there is no asset base being b- built that can be sold down the road there are no innovative business processes that are being uh, added to the business that are going to drive values higher or increase the multiple of uh, of earnings to value. So I start out saying, well, these are sm- very small businesses under a million dollars. But I would say that if your business isn't profitable, then you probably don't enjoy a lot of the the benefits of business ownership. You just have a job, and maybe square one is getting to profitability. So that you do have some some stuff. And the things that we're going to talk about today can definitely help you get profitable. So recognize where you're at. If you're in that group that you just own a job, well, you know, own the reality of that situation too, which is you admit to yourself, I'm not a business owner. I'm just schlepping to work every day for myself. And, I, you know, there are some benefits that I could probably enjoy if I went to work for somebody else. And I'm going to get serious about this or I'm going to go work for somebody else. I'm not going to keep taking unpaid vacations. I'm not going to keep going without health insurance. I'm not going to keep having to work 65 hours a week when a customer decides that they don't like the order and it's got to get redone. You know, I'm going to take charge of the situation. I'm going to build a business, not just own the job. So recognize where you're at. And then once once you're there, the next question should be, well, what is the distinction between business owner business operator, and every business owner in that situation that's kind of moved past the fact that they just you know they've gotten past they just own a job and they've actually built something and they have a business and they can wear a business owner hat and a business operator hat recognizing that you have those two hats and that you can you can you really should only wear one at a time is a mindset that you manage with your schedule, you manage with the habits that you build, and that's what we're going to talk about so when the I guess the first thing to talk about is this idea that you should only do one thing at a time, and I think one area where this comes up a lot that's easy for people to get their head around is just uh time and task management so there's a great book that came out a number of years ago, maybe fifteen years ago now. Um, by David Allen called uh, "Getting Things Done: The Art of Stress Free Productivity." And I'll put a link in the show notes. Show notes can be found at axiomstrategic.com dot slash podcast slash zero two two. And Steve, or David Allen wrote this book, and he put he, it's a system for managing all the stuff that's coming into your life. So it's it's a system for essentially managing your to do list and your project list and all that stuff. And one of the tenets, I, I don't actually I don't know if it's a tenet. Uh, I have to go back and, and look and see if, if Alan talks about this specifically. But one of the things that I have definitely recognized in the Getting Things Done methodology is that there's two specific modes that I work in. I either work in a planning mode or I work in an execution mode. And it's like there's a switch in my brain. And it's not like an on-off switch. It's like one of those... Sh- it's like a forward or reverse and there is no park. You're either doing one or the other. You're either executing or you're planning and you have to, you have to decide which of those two States that you're in. And one of the things that happens in, in getting things done is that when the switch is pushed over to planning, sometimes it's kind of hard to get the gears started. It's like, you know, getting the momentum going. And then once the momentum is going, it's very easy to plan. And so you've just you've got a project in front of you, and it's very easy for you to go through that project and decide, okay, this needs to get done, then this needs to get done, then this needs to get done, then this, then this, then this, then this. Um, and, so, and then I'm going to go back, and okay, so I think this should take about three hours, and this should take about four days, and this is going to take about two hours, and this is going to take two weeks. And then you go back through and you go, so the pinch point's, so-and-so is going to be responsible for this, and then I have to take that. And once you get into planning mode, it's just you're in the flow of planning mode. But you're planning. You're not executing. And so you can't just plan all the time because nothing will ever get done. Eventually, you have to flip that switch in the other direction, and the same thing happens. It's like a ceiling fan. I think I've used this analogy before. You, know, you, you have these ceiling fans, and they spin one way, and there's a switch on the ceiling fan, and you can reverse the direction of the ceiling fan. And when you first flip that switch, if the fan's running, you probably shouldn't do this, but if the fan is running and you flip the switch, the fan will start to slow down because the motor's trying to go in the opposite direction, but the fan blades have this momentum that they've built up, and you have to wait for the motor to fight that momentum and slow the fan down, and then eventually it stops, and it starts going back the other direction, and it gets faster and faster and faster until it gets back up to the same speed it was before, but now it's going in the opposite direction. And the same thing happens in this planning versus executing mode. So you stop planning and you say, now I'm going to execute. Now I'm going to look at all of the things that I could be doing in this particular spot at this particular time, and I'm going to decide which one of those I'm going to do. And I'm just going to take the one that is top. I'm going to look at the list, and whichever one jumps out at me, that's the one I'm going to do. And now you're executing, and it's kind of hard to get going. It's hard to pick that first one. It's hard to decide what the priority should be now that you're in execution mode. and But then as you get into it, when I mean, you just start flying through the stuff and you go to the next thing on the list and the next thing on the list and the next thing on the list. Now you're in execution mode. So that, that difference is huge for business owners or for anybody I work with who gets that. You know, it's, it's, it could be huge for my kids. It could be huge for my wife. It could be huge for my clients. That applies to everybody. The great thing about getting things done, and we talk about it so often because it literally fits into every part of your life. But that difference between I'm executing and now I'm planning and now I'm executing and now I'm planning and i'm not do I'm not executing and planning executing and planning executing and planning I'm doing lots of planning and I'm doing lots of execution and the more the bigger the blocks you can get, the more momentum you can build and the more effective you can be. The same exact principle is at work when you're in the business and you're the owner you're wearing the owner hat or you're wearing the operator hat, so the owner hat looks at things like. What is the mission, vision, values of the business? What are what, – how was our financial performance last quarter, last year? What is our budget – what should our budget be going forward this next year? What are the big uh, service or product decisions that need to be made in terms of things we need to add or subtract from the business um, what does my succession plan look like? Who is going to come in after me and run this? These are all huge. These are like the big planning functions. These are the big ownership. This is the ownership hat in the business. Where do we take the limited resources that we have at our disposal and employ them in the business so that they have the greatest effect, the greatest return, whether that's financial or otherwise. So it can take a while to get, once you put that hat on, it can take a while for the momentum to build and for you to get in that role. And it's all relative. Like, I mean, it could be if you're supposed to review the financial performance of the business every week, which seems kind of often for, for an owner role, but maybe not for a key manager role, but let's just say you've got some stuff that you're supposed to do every week as a business owner. And, it can be hard to get that started, and but because you got all these these things going on in the business, you got people competing for your attention. It's like, ugh, I know that every every Friday at two o'clock, I'm supposed to be in this room doing this thing related to business ownership instead of business operations. But we got this fire to put out and that fire to put out, and this person's just got hired and they need to be trained. And but if you can get in that room. And and you can fight all the resistance to get in that room and you can finally get in there and you start on that first thing that you're supposed to do on the regular basis as an owner instead of an operator. Then the next thing is a little bit easier to do and then the next thing is easier than that. And pretty soon you've been in there for three hours and you're making enormous headway on the ownership of the business. Like where is the business going? How has the business been doing? What are the next big steps for the business? <coughs> and then... You switch gears, and you get into execution, and the execution in businesses—I mean, it's just happening. It's like that's the forty hours or fifty hours or sixty hours a week that you have to put in to make sure that stuff gets done. That stuff just—I mean, that's got to happen. So you, you leave the ownership room, and you, now you're back. You know, the, the the little refuge that you had as your with your business owner hat on. You put your operator hat back on, and now you're back dealing with the training or putting out the fires or talking to the customers or making the sale or doing all that stuff. And so the principle applies that you can only be doing one of those two things at the same time to be really effective at it. The other principle that applies is that the bigger chunk of time that you can spend in that area, the more effective you're going to be. So it, you know it's probably more effective for you to take an entire day once a month to work on business ownership stuff than it is for you to take four, you know, two hour blocks of time once a month, or, you know, or four times a month to take two hour blocks. So if you can block the time together, you enjoy that momentum that builds at when you wear that hat and you can get not necessarily more done, but better stuff done. You usually more stuff too. So understand the difference between not only is there a distinction between owners and operators, but there's actually a difference in how you spend your time. And if you can get, if you can block that time out and increase the size of that block that you spend on business ownership, then you're going to get better returns. So, what should you be doing during that time? Well, you know that's that's kind of the bigger strategy stuff, but it's also the kind of the easiest question to answer. So, if I go into a business owner and I go. You know there there's stuff that, as a business owner things need to be done and you just never have time to do them rattle off anything that comes to mind that you know that you should be doing that you just haven't been able to get to and if you even if you don't premise it with there's stuff as a business owner that you're supposed to do, to be doing if you if you just say, forget about the ownership piece if you just say, "I know there's probably some stuff." That you as a business, I guess you can't leave business owner. Let's say, let's say that I know that there's some stuff that you as a business owner need to get done, but you struggle to do that. Like these are the projects that just never get started or never get finished, or it's the conversations that never get had, or it's the reports that never get run, or it's the customers that never get talked to. Whatever it is, I'm sure you've got some of that stuff in your head. Start dumping it out to me. I gotta, I gotta pencil and a piece of paper. and I'm just going to start, I'm going to write down whatever you tell me. And so they come up with, you know, all of a sudden they just start dumping stuff out. And then, and again, the momentum thing is at play. Like the more they, they talk, the more stuff comes to mind. And pretty soon you've got a dozen to two dozen things that they've, they go, yeah, this is stuff that I know I need to get done. And then you go back down that list and you go, we're going to decide whether you need to do this stuff wearing your business owner hat or whether you need to do it wearing your business operator hat. And, probably 80% of the stuff on that list is the business owner hat. And the reason that 80% of the stuff on that list that never gets done is uh, as a business ownership role is because the operator stuff has to get, those are the fires. That's the urgent stuff. Operations is the day-to-day stuff that's going on in the business. And it's always trying to encroach on the business owner's time. So, you have to guard that time you have to protect it you have to realize how important it is that you not do operations and that's that you know some call some phone calls from customers do go unreturned for a day uh, some employee crises don't get solved that afternoon because as bad as it is that those operating things aren't getting done it's worse that the business never makes any progress and you're stuck doing those same operating things five years from now because you haven't taken the time to step back and decide where the business is going to go. And eventually the business should go to a place where you don't have to deal with those kinds of things. You're spending your time on other stuff that's more valuable to the business. So recognize that you have to protect it. Recognize that there's a difference. And then in the actual roles themselves, you need to build some things into, into your business or to your workflow, or maybe even your office environment that makes it clear which role you're operating in. So it's your, your employees shouldn't guess when you're the owner and when you're the operator, they should know that, Oh, he's in that room with this, Four managers of the business. These are the people who call all of the shots. And they are, he's in there right now as the business owner. He's getting the reports that he needs from them to assess how the business is going. Or he's in there with the attorney talking about his will and his estate. And he's doing that in an ownership role. And the more clearly you can define, your ownership role in the business, the more opportunities you'll have to lead the business, because as an operator you're essentially replaceable as an owner you're not the owner is the only person in the business who replacing that person can fundamentally change what the business does, how it does it and and what uh vision it has for the future the The managers don't control that. Like the managers can't decide today we're selling air conditioners. Tomorrow we're going to sell solar panels. The managers can't decide uh, today we're doing tax and accounting services. Tomorrow we're going to start selling strategic consulting services. Only the owner can decide those things. And if you're not, if you're never perceived as an owner in your business, you lack the credibility and the authority to make those kinds of changes in the business. You can make the change, But lacking the credibility and lacking the authority, you're also going to, you're not going to have the buy in, and it's going to be an uphill battle to make any of those changes. The more people in the organization understand that you have specific times and specific routines that are solely associated with your ownership of the business the more they're going to perceive your leadership position in the company and the more confidence they'll have that when you decide to make these big changes as the owner, you're going to be able to pull them off because you're used to acting like an owner. And I've been in situations before where the person never acted like an owner, they they were always the operator. They never looked at a financial statement. They never gauged the company's performance. They never charted the vision of where they wanted to go over the next year or two years. And then one day they showed up with this grand plan that they had hatched at some point, at some time with nobody knows who, nobody knows when. They just came up with this great deal. And Nobody bought into it because they weren't accustomed to seeing them act like an owner at any other point in their interaction with them during their time with the company. And so because they didn't take it seriously, the owner didn't feel a buy-in perceived probably correctly that they weren't going to be successful with whatever change this was. And then they reversed course or or just kind of quietly let it die on the vine, which only reinforced the perception that they weren't, going to act like an owner that they weren't capable of making these big bold moves that they weren't going to be able to provide the vision to lead the company forward and i think in a lot of a lot of cases that results in higher turnover because going through an experience like that where the owner who's never acted like an owner comes up with a grand plan a grand announcement doesn't commit the resources to get the credibility or or doesn't demonstrate the kind of character or the personal habits to have the credibility on the front end to get buy-in and they back out and people go, this is not a place that I want to be because I don't have any confidence that this company is going anywhere. So you can know all of that stuff, but you know, how do you make it happen? And the calendar is your friend in this respect. One of the things that I do with business owners, because it's one of the most tangible things that, that you can bring to the table is in terms of determining where they're going to spend their time and attention is say, get out your calendar and we're going to decide what is the appropriate amount of time for you to spend in this business as an owner and what's the appropriate amount of time for you to spend in this business as an operator. And a lot of this depends on the size of the company. So the bigger the company, the more time they need to be spending in that ownership role. The smaller the company, the more time they need to be spending in the operator role. For the simple fact that the smaller the company the bigger chunk of production lands on your shoulders. So if I'm, a, if I'm a one-man consulting firm and I decide that I want to spend uh, 60% of my time as a business owner instead of as a business operator, guess what? I'm only earning money 40% of the time. Now, if I earn so much money during that 40% of the time that, that I can pay the bills and feed my family and do all that, then great then I'm probably going to grow very quickly because the 60% of the time that I'm spending as an operator, if it's put to good use, is going to be resulting in really good decisions about where I spend my operations time and who I spend it with and what I charge those people and the value I bring to the table. And I should be able to grow at a faster rate. But the reality of most business owners' situations is that they can't afford to step away from the business for a good, you know, 20% of their time to be a business operator because if they do production stops, they stop earning money, they don't have the resources to make anything happen. So, depending on the size of the business and depending on their calendar, we will determine how what's the appropriate amount of time. And I say depending on the calendar because everything else is at play here. So, if you've got uh, 10 kids, and you coach five soccer teams, it's going to be difficult for you to give up much production time, probably because you need money to feed the 10 kids. But you you also have limited margin where you can kind of expand the bounds of your work week and go, well, um, you know, the guy who only has two kids may say, uh, well, I just production-wise, I can't afford to give up the hours but what I can do is I can I can do Saturday mornings for three hours and just spend those three hours as business ownership time. And I'm just going to leave the rest of the time during the week to pure production as a, an operator. Uh, the guy with 10 kids doesn't have that luxury because he's coaching five soccer games during that period on Saturday morning. So we look at their calendar and we, and we just say, you know, we we've got to find some time in here. Where are we going to find it? What operating responsibilities can you delegate? How much time during the week can you free up? And once we're out of that time, is there any more time outside of the normal work week that you could also free up to take a step back and look at this as a business owner? And sometimes, you know, we we find the time. Sometimes, sometimes, you know, I guess the harder situations are when there is more than enough time, when it's like, well, I only work 35 hours a week, so I mean, I can, uh, you know, and I could probably knock that down to 30 and not take a hit because I, I could just, there's some things I could do faster. How much time do we need as an operator, or as, how much time do we need as an owner? And you go, Well, that's a really good question because I'm usually fighting to get two or three or four hours a week, and you're telling me that we could easily come up with 15, 20 hours a week. And to be honest, I don't know what we'd do with that 15 to 20 hours a week. Um, th- that's a tough situation to figure out how to productively use that time. Normally what we'd say is m- maybe you should just work harder during the week and do more production to bring more resources to the table to plug into growth. Um, if it's a constraint where they, they just like they could work all they wanted to, and that wouldn't bring in any any more money or there are no clients out there and no customers out there, then, you know, we have other issues to deal with, but, Looking at the calendar gives us an opportunity to understand how much more time we can add. And then the question is, what do you do with that time? Well, that's the strategic planning process. I mean, that's that's what I kind of sell and make my living on is, is coming in and helping business owners use that time as an owner to better effect. Um, and we get into... Uh, discussions about operations, but we're making changes to operations as an owner would make changes to operations, not necessarily as a line manager would make changes to operations. So for instance, we might be redesigning a process, but we're not inside the word document changing the particular form that gets handed out to the customer. We're just saying, we know that this form probably needs to change because it's not effective. And then that gets delegated to somebody else in operations. So, the, the time that you – and and the, I'll probably br- – let's just bring this back to the first thing I said. Probably the very first thing that you should do with that time is go out and get a coach. It's like if if you're going to be – if you're going to commit yourself to acting like a business owner, probably the very first thing that you should do is find two hours a week or three hours a week where you can work with a coach for an hour and and – Hiring a coach is something that we'll probably get into in this episode we have coming up in three or four weeks, because I have a lot to say about that too. Um, But find two or three hours, and an hour of that you can work with a coach, and the the other hour to two hours you can work on the homework that comes out of your coaching session. Getting that outside perspective is probably the most valuable thing that you can do to help your business over the next year. And what you do during that time is going to depend on what your coach hears um it 's going to depend on what your coach feels needs to be the you know the next priority in the business um if you don 't have a coach, get a coach if you can 't get a coach like let 's say you 're in the inner like you're you want to start this today you 're like i 've got to switch hats i have to you know I realize that there 's an ownership hat and there 's an operator hat and I have not been wearing the ownership hat I want to put it on this afternoon i I'm not going to wait. I'm going to hire a coach, but I'm not going to wait until the coach's first day. I'm going to start doing this stuff right now. What do I do during that two to three hour time? The, I would say some things that you could do if, if, you, if they're available, number one, review your financial statements. Understand exactly what the business's performance is. Usually, if that's the thing you start out to do, What you find out is that because you have not been paying attention to them, your financial statements are in horrible condition. Not meaning that the business is not performing, meaning that your accounting system stinks and that things haven't been reconciled the way they need to. Things haven't been put into the proper accounts the way they need to. Things haven't been costed out the way they need to. Inventory probably hasn't been updated all kinds of things like that. So if you've never been paying attention to things as a business owner and financial statements are one of the few things that, I mean, like financial statements are that thing that in many companies only the business owner ever sees, right? And so if you're not acting in your capacity as a business owner, then nobody is looking at the financial statements. And don't tell me that it's okay because your CPA sees them at tax time and because your, your assumption is, Well, I give everything to my CPA and he takes a really hard look at what's going on in my business. And if there were ever any problems, I know that he would pick up the phone, he would call me, he would say, I need you to get in here because we found something very serious. And then you would come into the office and he would sit you down and he'd have this entire presentation and a nice bound uh, report in front of you. And it would say things like, uh, we found out that Susie uh is not is not working as effectively as John, and we found out that your um, so you know you need to address susie 's performance and we found out that your prices are twenty percent below the industry average and we found out that your uh facility is aging and the equipment is experiencing 25% higher repair costs. And we went out and costed some new equipment. And if you, if you put this new equipment in, it's going to cost you a little bit of cash up front, but it will pay for itself within a year and a half. These are the things, this is what business owners think their CPA should do. And I know because I'm a CPA and I sat in that seat for a long time doing tax returns. Let me tell you what actually happens when you drop those those records off. So usually your CPA sends you something about this time of year. We're in February right now, first week of February. And so you get a call from your CPA, January, first part of February, and they say, Hey, we're getting ready to do taxes. Here are the things that we need. And you don't pay attention to anything that they sent over. Like the, the long list of documents that they need to prepare your tax return. You, you didn't even look at that. All you did was walk into the bookkeeper's office and go, Hey, send Joey over at Axiom the QuickBooks file. He needs to do the tax turn. And so she does it and in my inbox comes the QuickBooks file and I'm I'm your tax CPA now. And I take a look at your QuickBooks file and immediately I go, oh, all that stuff that we asked for, we we still need that stuff. Like there I have tons of questions about the QuickBooks file and they would have all been answered if you had given me the stuff that I asked for on the list but you didn't. So I'm going to take some time and I'm going to go ahead and send you another email that asks for all that stuff again. And so you do that and you ignore it uh, or maybe you delegate part of it and, and they get all the stuff together and they before you've told them, before you send it to Joey, I want to look at it. And so your bookkeeper gets all the documents together that I need or most of them that I need and she gives it back to you and it sits in the corner of your desk for a week and then it makes its way to the floor for another four weeks and in the meantime, I got 250 other people just like you that I'm going through this same process with. And eventually, uh, we get to March 12th, and you still haven't given me any of this stuff. And I call you, and I say, hey, we don't have any of your stuff to, to answer those questions we had about the tax return. You go, oh, yeah, 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 it's right here. It's on my floor. Uh, I, I will get to it in the next two days. <clears throat> and I tell you, well, it's March 12th. So like even if you sent it to me today, I'm not gonna get to it. We're gonna extend you. And you go, Oh, extension? Well, how long is that good for? And I go, Oh, it's good for until September 15th. And you go, Oh, okay, okay, fine. So I'll get this stuff reviewed and I'll get it over to you next week. And guess what happens? You don't get to it next week. It's you know, because now you have until September fifteenth to do it. So so this process goes on. And on and on, and then, and we get to like August 15th, and I call you and I go, hey, man, I got to have this stuff like in the next week or we're not going to be able to get your taxes done. And so you go through the stack, and you're like, oh, there's a list here that you sent me. <coughs> and I'm like, yeah, there's a list, and I think I remember what was on it. Uh, Can you send it over? And you go, well, we don't have exactly everything. And I go, okay, well, what do you have? And you tell me, I'm like, we'll just send it over. And so you send me what you do have, I fill in as many holes as I can. I call you back. I'm like, hey, we don't have this, this, and that. And I I need you to estimate how much this was and how much that was. Okay, get me this bank statement. Give me that credit card statement. Okay, we're done. Return gets filed on September 14th, right? And we're done. Nowhere in that period of time did your CPA ever stop and pull back from the business and go, I wonder how their pricing looks compared to, all of their peers in the industry. At no point did they ever look at the individual commissions of your sales reps and go, I wonder why Susie is so much lower than John or, uh, or wow. Susie's average sales price is 25% higher than John's, but she's doing lower volume. What, what's going on there? You know, I didn't ask any of those. I didn't look at your age of your equipment, I didn't consider whether you should buy new equipment to replace it. I didn't look at your repair costs and whether they've been going up or not. I didn't do any of that stuff. But your assumption as a small business owner who's not paying attention to any of their financial statements is that every single year I'm taking a good hard look at your business. And if there was anything wrong with it, I would be setting off alarm bells and smoke signals and searchlights to call you into my office to explain to you exactly what you needed to do as the business owner to write the ship. And that's never going to happen. Like that is never going to happen. You need to, you need to understand that you're paying somebody to prepare your tax return, which is filling out a form. And during that filling out a form process at best, if they file it on the first due date and don't extend it at best, the information, if they were, going to advise you on things that were happening in your business. At best, the information is three months old at that point. That's at best. In in reality, the age of the information ranges from 15 months old up to three months old. So even if they were looking at it, they don't have the raw material necessary to make good decisions about the business because they're not looking at it in real time or even close to real time. They're not even looking at it in recent history. In some cases it's over a year old. So the first back to, if you can carve out the three hours during your week to actually start acting like a business owner, the first thing you should do, and maybe this is even before hire a coach first or second thing that you should do is look at your financial statements. And if you've never looked at them before, you should find plenty of problems. And then maybe what you should do is call your CPA, the same one who does your tax return, and after he picks himself off up off the floor, because you're calling him, <laughs> and he's always calling you, uh, but you're calling him, and not only are you calling him, you're calling him in like June. Like like it's not before the March deadline, and it's not before the September line. It's like deadline, it's like right in the middle. And he's like, well, why in the world is Joey calling? And I go, hey... I'm just looking at my financial statements here and I don't look at this stuff. I just send it to you and you work your magic on it and prepare a tax return. But I'm committed to acting more like a business owner this year and I know I need to be looking at this stuff every single month and it's just not making sense to me. So I'd like to pay for a couple hours of your time. Could you come out here to my office? This is important. Have them come to your office because they need to see the business. If if the numbers are going to make any sense to them on paper, I'm a firm believer and they need to see the physical operation. And if it's not a physical operation, if it's a website you run or something like that, then schedule a, a meeting, face-to-face meeting or a virtual meeting where they can look at the product and they can ask you questions about the product and about how the business model works. You'd be amazed how many tax preparers prepare hundreds, thousands of tax returns And have no idea the business model of the business because they don't have to. Like, it's sales. It's all sales. It doesn't matter whether you make your sales from a subscription service or whether you make your sales from a roadside fruit stand or whether you make your sales by uh, by blackmailing local politicians. It doesn't matter. Like It's all sales. On the tax return, it all goes on exactly the same line. So get them out to your facility so they can understand how your line is different from everybody else's line in their client base and say, I need to understand these financial statements. And one of the things they might tell you is that, yeah, look, it all goes on one line on the tax return but you actually have three divisions in this company. And I can see that by looking at the way your warehouse is set up and looking at the types of production lines that you have, you have three divisions. So if you're trying to look at the financial statements to see how the company has done over the last year or over the last month or the last week, it's, the the success of one division could be hiding the failure of another division so what we want to do is on your financial statements here i'm actually i'm going to do it right now i'm going to go into your accounting software and i'm going to create two new in, i'm going to create three new income accounts for those three divisions and our goal over the next year is that there's nothing going into this this one that we've been using this entire time over the next year we transition into using these three new ones so we have a better understanding of how we're earning our money, what products and services are actually generating the cash coming in the door. That's the kind of stuff that you want to be proactively talking about with your CPA as a business owner. If you have those conversations in the first month after listening to this podcast— it'll be worth what you paid for it. <laughs> like it didn't this this advice didn't cost you anything, but it could be some of the most uh, valuable advice you get. If you have not been paying attention to your financial statements as a business owner, you must start right away. Do not pass go, do not collect $200. Sit down at QuickBooks, go to reports, go to company and financial, print out a profit and loss statement, print out a balance sheet sit down with somebody who knows what they're doing and go, you have to explain this to me like I'm a five-year-old because I'm going to be looking at this every month without your help, and I have to understand what's going on here. So that that's one of the first things that I would do. Get a business coach. Find out from them uh, you know, what they see going on in the business. <clears throat> what do they see in your particular ownership management style that you need to work on? What do they see... Um, In terms of your company's performance and your company's experience in the marketplace, you know, ask them to be a secret shopper for you, ask them to sign up for your products and services and, um, and tell you what they think about your service delivery model. it's something very like my client, my clients in a particular industry, I want to be a customer of that. Client, if at all possible, because I learn things when their people come to my house to spray for bugs, or when their people come to my house to work on my air conditioner or service my pool, or I take my car in and they work on it. I learn more stuff about that business, and the only place I can learn it is right there. I will never learn that going into the conference room. I'll never get that experience. I'll never get the insight. I'll never get the information. So encourage your coach to become a customer of your company so that they can give you the kind of feedback you're not going to get anywhere else the the last thing i want to talk about is is telling and it's the first thing we talked about in terms of compensation i can tell a lot about how you treat your business by how you pay yourself and the just so we cover the cpa bases the IRS says that you have to pay yourself reasonable compensation for services provided to your business, but they don't tell us anywhere what reasonable is. They just say it has to be reasonable compensation. So it's up to all the business owners out there to determine for themselves what's reasonable compensation. But it's very, very simple. Reasonable compensation question is very, very simple. The first thing you have to do is separate what we've already talked about, separate the ownership role from the operator role. And so we're talking purely about the operations role right now. So if you, if we sat down and looked at your calendar and, and, and you said, I spend 50 hours a week working in the business and I'm, and I'm going to get that down to uh, 48 hours a week working in the business. And I'm going to spend four hours a week. I'm going to, I'm going to take two hours that I was working in the business. I'm going to work on the business. I'm going to add two more hours. And I'm going to work on the business four hours a week. And so my question to you would be, okay, tell me exactly what you do during the 48 hours a week that you're working in the business. Give me that job description. Give me that job description in such a way that I could go out into the market and I could hire somebody to fill your shoes. And they all think that this is impossible. Like they all think that they're irreplaceable. But what they're thinking about is the ownership hat, which is irreplaceable until you sell the business. You know, and then and then, it's irreplaceable because nobody's going to come in and run the business exactly like you did, right? But you can all be replaced. It's just that you can't replace yourself with somebody who's going to do it exactly the way you did it. So it's irreplaceable in that sense. But that's the only thing that's irreplaceable. The list of stuff that you do for 48 hours a week is eminently replaceable. Not only that, but I guarantee you that of the 48 hours, the stuff that you do during about probably 30 of those hours can be done better by somebody else. (laughs) I mean, because you're not the smartest guy in the room. You're not the sharpest tool in the shed. You know, you're smart, you're sharp, but I, I bet you that given enough time, I could go out and find somebody who could do it even better. And the best business owners know this. They understand it and they do spend the time it, it's all about the amount of time it takes them to find that person who can do it better than them, and they'll they'll take the time, they'll be patient, they'll expend the resource, that they will spend the time and energy and attention focusing on how do I find that person so I can divide my my responsibilities up into three different areas, and my goal as a, a top leading business owner is to grow the business so that each one of those three part-time positions that I'm filling, it eventually, with the company eventually grows to where it needs three individual people for those businesses. And I'm going to go over those roles, and I'm going to go out and find the smartest, sharpest, brightest people I can, people that can do those three roles much better than I could ever do them, and I'm going to put them in place and grow the business. Every successful entrepreneur knows this, they're committed to it, and they understand that nobody can replace them as the business owner, but they're eminently replaceable as the business operator. So in terms of getting compensation right, once you've identified the stuff that you do during that 46 or 48 hours, whatever the number is that you're in the business operations, then we go, well, what would it cost us to go out and replace you? you know is this a $40,000 a year position a $50,000 $80,000 100 what is what's the magic number and and one great place to go for this information is your largest your larger competitors so let's say that you are a $3 million company and there's a $3 billion national company that's also in your market and all the stuff that's on your 48 hour list of things that you spend working in the business every week, is the same stuff that's on the general manager's list at this $3 billion national company that's down the street. He does the same stuff because he runs an office that's about the same size office as yours in terms of its revenue generating ability and the number of people that work there and the number of trucks that they have and all that stuff. And you go, well, what does that guy make a year? well, that guy makes $65,000. So reasonable compensation for you is $65,000. And you know, you might be paying yourself $20,000. You might be paying yourself $100,000. What you're currently paying yourself is irrelevant. What you, What's relevant is what you should be paying yourself. You need to be paying yourself $65,000 a year to do that 48-hour-a-week job because that's what the market rate is. And my clients will hear me talk about this over and over again. Treat it like a real business. That 3 billion dollar business, that's a real business. Like there's nobody in, nobody in your circle of friends or acquaintances is going to look at that 3 billion dollar company and go, "Yeah, but you know, I mean, they're kind of they're kind of running it off the cuff. I mean, it's not they don't, they don't really have all the screws tightened down over there. You know, they they're just kind of winging it." No. They're a $3 billion company. They have offices in 25 states. You know, they've got 18,000 employees, whatever it is. Uh, that's, it's a real business, okay? So they know exactly what every person in that company is making, and it's at market rate because if, if that person starts underperforming, they have to know that they're going to be able to go out into the market and they're going to have to be able to, to replace that person at the same salary level And not blow up the budget, so it works both ways. It's like if 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 they're paying that person, uh, it's a sixty five thousand dollars a year person, and they went out and they found somebody for thirty thousand dollars a year who was willing to do the job. Like they didn't have to twist their arm. They didn't, you know, it was just yeah, you know, he'll work for thirty thousand. So we're going to pay him thirty thousand. That's not a smart move. The reason it's not a smart move is because when he, when he stops under or when he stops performing or when he decides he's going to move and live closer to his grandkids, or she decides that she wants to um, stop working and stay home with the kids for a while, or he decides that uh, the, you know a, a child gets sick and he needs to take a leave of absence. All of a sudden, they got to go out in the market and spend twice what they were paying just to get the same person in, the same capabilities in. And all hell breaks loose because Every budget they've set, every performance goal they have, every cash flow projection that they've made is contingent on paying that position $30,000 a year. And now they're going to have to more than double that to get the market rate in there. So smart companies, real businesses, the ones who treat themselves like real businesses, real companies, pay market rate positions, pay market rate salaries for every position in the company. Because they know that over the long term, yeah, okay, so we might save a few thousand dollars for a short time until this person wises up and realizes they're way undercompensated and jumps to one of our competitors probably because they're offering more money and they they resent us because we underpaid them for so long. Or some circumstance just takes them out of the market and now we're in a pinch because we got to go out and, oh, and by the way, we have a reputation for underpaying people right? The opposite also holds true. You don't want to overpay people because it sends all those messages, but on on the flip side of things. So if you're overcompensating somebody and it comes time to replace them, the search process is attenuated by the fact that you might be looking for people who, you might be looking for people who don't exist. Like you're looking for $100,000 people and None of the $100,000 people will talk to you because you're this little tiny company and nobody pays somebody a $100,000 to manage a, job, uh, a an office that size. Not to mention the fact that it's just kind of a, a bad practice to just throw money out the window. And if you're overpaying market rates on a position, that's what you're doing. You're not being a good steward. So don't underpay. Don't overpay. Pay everybody market rate, and that goes for you as well. The other thing that that makes possible is you, you know I talked about the the successful the most successful entrepreneurs business owners they look at their role in operations and their role their goal is to replace themselves and upgrade that position. So we use the example of somebody who's who's basically doing three different roles and their goal is to grow the company so that when they replace themselves They don't have to find one person with all three of those abilities. They can go out and hire three people who are excellent in each one of those areas. Well, the same thing happens in small businesses when if you're paying yourself a market rate, you want to replace yourself. So let's go back to our our example of the $3 million company versus the $3 billion company. If you're paying yourself $65,000 a year because that's, the market rate for that position and things are humming along and the business grows to 4 million, 5 million, 6 million. And and you also are paying yourself some performance bonuses because those are, those are good. Everybody should have some performance metric that their compensation is tied to. And so you've got a base of 65,000, and you've added, say, another twenty thousand to that because of the performance bonuses that've been added. Because your 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 company is a top performer, blah blah blah. And you start seeing other opportunities, maybe to go into a new market, maybe to um, offer, maybe to buy other companies and vertically integrate. We're going to talk about that. It's very exciting stuff to talk about. We're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks. Um, but you, you as the business owner, you're always seeing bright, shiny objects and you're, you're seeing places that you would like to go invest money and do things. And, uh, and so you, you go, oh, i really like to go do these things, but I'm spending 48 hours a week doing this operation stuff. Oh, wait, uh, I'm making 65,000 base plus performance comp. This guy down the road has, he's been around for the last three years since I started this journey. He's making $65,000 working for this $3 billion company. Wonder if he might be interested in this position. And it's very easy for you because dollars are dollars. Like you're just going out, you're replacing your sixty-five thousand with his sixty-five thousand. Now, you personally have some issues because you got to replace sixty-five thousand dollars worth of income. But if we haven't done that, growing the company from three million to five million by increasing your dividends, then you know we, something else is wrong right so if you haven't grown profitability then there's there's issues there that that should be addressed too but when you pay yourself market rates when we talk about treat yourself like a real company that is ex- that situation we just described is exactly what we're talking about the, as the company grows you should be spending proportionally a larger and larger percentage of your time on the ownership side that's the side that should be growing because that's the side that gets to this that's the the side of the or the hat that you get to wear that decides where to allocate resources and, or, and, and employ capital in order to generate more returns, more profits. And that's what your brain should be engaged in. And if that's the goal, then you have to build a system where you're replaceable and that extends to your compensation. So if you're paying yourself, if you weren't treating yourself like a real business and you had been spending $25,000 on yourself, And you go, oh, I'd like to go get this $65,000 guy, but now we've got to totally change the compensation system, and it's going to play havoc with our budgets. It's going to play havoc with our forecasts. It's going to mess up our profitability. Oh, and these managers are paid on profitability. So now they're pissed off that I'm bringing in this way more expensive guy. They don't understand that I was underpaying myself to save some Social Security and payroll taxes. They're just upset because the profits are going down. And and then then you always get into this kind of crazy stuff. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pay him $65,000 and his performance bonus is going to be based on that $65,000 cost coming out of the P&L. But these other guys, we're going to do a, a second calculation for them and add back that other 40,000 because they sh- and you get into all these shenanigans where you've got multiple calculations based on when somebody came into the company or what their compensation should have been to be at market and, and how it's changed. And we can't comp this person out on performance because the overhead's not right. That is the kind of small ball minor league stuff. That's going to keep you from ever growing the business and being considered a real business by that $3 billion competitor. And let me tell you something, when you take the $65,000 a year general manager away from them and you've grown the company from $3 million to $5 million. They look at you and they go, hey, that's a real business. Yeah, we're $3 billion in, in, in revenue, and they're only $5 million, But trust me, that's a real bit. They're treating it like a real company. They know what they're doing over there. And it'll show up in your profits. It'll show up in your dividends. It'll show up in your ability to sell the business down the road and your ability to grow the business in different directions and employ your skills as an entrepreneur. So... The ownership compensation piece is a big part of that. You have to pay yourself a market rate for the services that you're performing in the business. And then the other money that you get to take out of the business that, as your prerogative as a business owner is called dividends. And I don't care whether you own an S corporation or C corporation or a partnership. I'm just going to call it all dividends. You might call it distributions. You might call it part profits or, or whatever. But that's dividend, so a portion of what the business earns in total profits should go and in, in my view should go back to the employees as part of their performance comp plan, and you're included in that because you are an employee unless you've unless you've hired that sixty five thousand dollar guy to replace you and you no longer perform forty something hours worth of service or whatever it was for the company if you're still on the payroll, then you get to share in the the employee bonus that's based on performance. A portion of the profits goes back into the business to do things like pay down debt, to invest in capital equipment, to save money for a rainy day, all that stuff. And the rest gets to come out to the business owners in the form of dividends. And ultimately, that's the number that we want to grow. Like the the compensation piece, the owner's compensation piece... Yeah, it should grow because the business is performing better and there should be some kind of performance bonus assigned to that the same way there is for every employee. But where we really want to see things grow is in the dividends because that means that the business as a whole, not your individual performance in the business for that 48 hours a week, but the business as a whole, all the employees, all the cylinders are firing in such a way that they're generating extraordinary profits and there's enough left over at the end for the business owners to enjoy those profits. So that's that's why compensation is so important. That's why I saved it for last. Because when you're talking about whether it's strategy, uh whether it's, you know, mission vision values, whether you're talking about tactics, project planning, all that stuff, ultimately it's about building one of those businesses that generates extraordinary profits and pays those out in the form of dividends to businesses or shoves that money in the balance sheet and uses it to acquire other businesses and build bigger assets for those same shareholders. You know, shareholder value creation is kind of what capitalism is about. And I know that's kind of gotten a bad uh, rep in this kind of socially conscious, environmentally conscious world. Trust me. Business owners who do it right are the most socially conscious, most environmentally conscious people on the planet because they understand their ability to generate profits comes from good stewardship of those resources, both financial resources, human resources, environmental resources, all of that stuff. And when you talk about a business's ability to do that, if there's confusion about the ownership versus the operations role, whether you're an owner, whether you're an operator, what you're doing at any point in time, it's going to hamper the business's ability to truly grow. And like I said at the beginning, the litmus test for that is how you're paying yourself. So I can go into probably 10 different businesses. I can say, show me the ownership compensation structure here. And I can tell you whether they're good at switching hats between owner and operator and whether they're effective in those two different roles. So that's the, uh, that's the gist of today's podcast. I hope it's been helpful to you. I will put some show notes up to recap some of the things we've talked about. Again, you can find those at axiomstrategic.com slash podcast slash 022. I'm your host, Joy Brannan, and I hope to see you back next week for another edition of the Axiom Podcast.